This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We're going to be coming live to you for the next three hours here on Channel 127. We're so glad to spend the evening with you. This is U2 with the Soweto Gospel Choir. For our friend Midwin Charles, who we miss every day. For the next three hours, you can join the show at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. I hope you had a terrific day today. We have a terrific show planned for you tonight. Uh, Let's get some stuff out of the way. Friday night, November 3rd, at the Lionsgate Comedy in the Berkshires in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I'll be performing with our good friend, uh, the very funny Kevin Bartini. Two shows at 7 to 9. 7 o'clock's already sold out. If you're up there in the Berkshires, come on by. Love to see you. Tonight, we're going to be joined by Bob Seska, our good friend, uh, Peabody Award-winning comedian Paul Mercurio, and Dr. Tracy Pearson. Happy 1st of November, everybody. Today is the birthday of Lyle Lovett, Anthony Kiedis, Tim Cook, and friend of the show, Tony Collette. It was on this date, in 1968, that George Harrison released a soundtrack album called Wonderwall Music. You've probably never heard of it or heard the album before, but he became the first member of the Beatles to ever release a solo album, 55 years ago today. And tomorrow, the official final recording by the Beatles, featuring never-before-heard guitar playing by George Harrison, will be released. It's called Now and Then. It's from John Lennon's old 1977 piano demo that Yoko gave to Paul. The Beatles tried to make three songs into Beatles songs. They released Free as a Bird and Real Love, but they they couldn't manage the quality of the tape. It was a poor cassette recording. John's piano drowned out his voice. They tried it with Jeff Lynne. George Harrison ultimately gave up. And now, (laughs) 25 years later, They've done it, using the same kind of AI technology Peter Jackson used for the Get Back movie to clean up the framing, and it will be released tomorrow in the morning. It's a very exciting time to be a music fan, but both with that and the Rolling Stones releasing their best album in 40 years, and shucks, Bob Dylan just covered Leonard Cohen the other night in Toronto. So let's get to it. It was a very crazy day today, and we're so glad you're with us. Our executive producer is Chris Hauselt. Our associate producer, Thea Harper, runs this thing. It's been... A very eventful day. Israel has confirmed a second missile strike on the Jabalia camp in Gaza. A Washington Post investigation of the strikes reveals the area of the blast was about the size of a football field 
and it's fully destroyed at least one dozen buildings. Evacuations across the Rafah border began today as the first group of Americans and other dual nationals made their way to safety in Egypt. Only people with passports were able to leave, and most Palestinians don't have passports because they don't get to leave. Politico reports the Biden administration increasingly believes Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, the guy who propped up Hamas for all those years, kept saying he was keeping you safe. He may be ousted before the end of the conflict. And apparently the White House has begun preparing accordingly. Over here at home, Donald Trump Jr. testified at his family's civil trial today for fraud in New York City, claiming total ignorance of even the basic accounting lingo. He was in charge of overseeing. And if you got to watch any of the footage, um, check out the cop who flashes Don Jr. a hand signal as Donald walks into the courthouse. It's either a 3 percenter signal or a white power signal. But let's make sure that cop becomes very famous in the next few days. Uh, in Congress, Ken Buck and Kay Granger have both announced they will not be seeking reelection in 2024, further hollowing out the House GOP. And meteorologists revealed that Hurricane Otis, which has just destroyed Acapulco in the last week, contained wind gusts of 205 miles per hour as it hit a resort town that has never had a hurricane hit it before. Because the oceans are warmer. Because, oh, I don't know why that could be. Mexico has announced a $3.5 billion plan to rebuild the Pacific Coast resort town where nearly all the infrastructure has been wiped out. And Toyota raised workers' wages as soon as the UAW strike was resolved. Really good news. It's a very busy time in Congress. Our government funding runs out in 16 days. The new speaker, Trump's little Johnson, is trying to pass an Israeli aid bill coupled with $14 billion in cuts to the IRS. We talked about this last night, something the Republican leadership is split on, and they're nervous about passing because it will never go anywhere in the House. It's going no place. Again, uh, the new speaker is trying to play dumb about this, saying only in Washington, when you cut spending, do they call it an increase in the deficit? Actually, no, little Johnson. When you try to cut the IRS budget, the agency that brings in revenue by making the super rich pay their taxes, that increases the deficit because they're not collecting as much money from the rich people trying to cheat the system. And Mike Johnson knows this, but he's owned by the super rich he is trying to protect. Meanwhile, the House vote to expel that doughy, worm-like compost heap of festering falsehoods. Congressman George Santos of the great state of New York from the Isle of Long, where I was raised. Well, it has failed. 179 to 213. That's a little bit short of the required two-thirds majority. The Ethics Committee has vowed to provide an update on their Santos investigation by November 17th, but his job is safe after the vote. 24 Republicans and 155 Democrats voted to expel him. Uh, 182 Republicans voted against expelling George Santos from Congress, so he's going to stay there. I should also point out 31 Democrats voted against expelling George Santos from Congress. A lot of Dems are very angry about that. Let me explain why that's a really good thing. In fact, let me explain why it's actually a really good thing that George Santos will remain in Congress. Let me begin with uh, with the clip. Here, a bunch of New York reps were leading the charge to get rid of him. I want to play a clip of George Santos, who took the floor, fighting for his life. He was the only person to testify on his behalf, and he fought hard, just like he fought for America at Iwo Jima and Bunker Hill and Gettysburg 
and Mosul. Give a listen to little George. I like to say I understand the point of view of my colleagues, but I don't. One can't say that they are pro-Constitution and at the same time act as judge, jury, and executioner. Where is the consistency, Mr. Speaker? (laughs) The actions taken within this body are delicate and consistency is essential. And now is not the time to set dangerous precedent. Consider this. The last time a member of Congress was expelled was in 2002 following a criminal conviction. In fact, both expulsions in the last two centuries took place after the defendants had been convicted. To my colleagues on the, on the other side of the aisle, I'd like to remind you that many of you are supporting another member of Congress who is under investigation and is the second time he is indicted. And even one of you, (laughs) pardon me, and even one who recently pleaded guilty to a crime rather than calling for their resignation. Here we are. He's talking about Senator Menendez. Um, Most Democrats aren't supporting him. Now, there was a poll from a nonpartisan outfit at Siena College on behalf of Newsday that found that 78 percent of the registered voters in George Santos's district on Long Island wanted him to resign. Why? I'll tell you why. It's obvious. George Santos is such an empty shell. Hermit crabs can live inside of him. You already know the whole story, right? Right? Can I can I can I tug on your coat and remind you of who this guy is? He's the one who lied that he attended Baruch College and NYU. He lied that he had worked at Goldman Sachs. He lied that he worked at Citigroup. He claimed he had earned a salary of $750,000 and up to $5 million as an owner of the DeVolder organization. But he failed to disclose any client information. He said he was a proud American Jew whose ancestors had escaped the Holocaust, that his mom died from 9-11. He said he was directly affected by the mass murder at Pulse nightclub and he lost employees there. He's had more names than Diddy. He lied about playing volleyball in college. Dude, really? I, 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 I mean, I guess I get all the rest of the lies, lying about 9-11, lying about being Jewish, lying about the Holocaust, lying about your business, lying that you knew people at the Pulse nightclub, but volleyball? I, I guess, who, who would doubt that? I see you. I get it. He's the guy who had the fake animal rescue charity, which he stole from for a veteran service dog. He's Jewish, but he's Catholic. He's gay, but he married a woman. He kind of makes you long for the honesty and dignity and character of Herschel Walker, doesn't he? George was the only lawmaker today to advocate against the resolution during debate on the House floor, and he accused his colleagues of seeking to act as judge, jury, and executioner. And I got to say, I I agree with him. I don't think he should be kicked out of Congress. And I've got a very good reason. Congressman Mike Lawler from New York, a Republican, he feels very differently. He exploded at Santos today while he was talking about the indicted congressman's lies about his mother being in the Twin Towers on 9-11. Give a listen. I don't doubt how sincere Mike Lawler is, but just just check this out. And yes, Mr. Santos will get his day in court. But for the purposes of this body, we now have more than enough information from a court of law with the guilty plea of his treasurer to expel him from Congress. When you can sit with a straight face and say that you attended an institution like Baruch College or that you were 
a volleyball superstar and recite this on a nationally syndicated radio show. When you can make up the fact that your mother was in the Twin Towers on September 11th <laughs> with not even an ounce of shame or remorse, you're unfit to serve. All of us being from New York remember that day precisely. I was in my fifth day of freshman year of high school. The number of my classmates whose parents were in the building, whose parents didn't come home, the number of first responders in each of our districts who still to today are dying from 9-11 related illnesses. This is not something you joke about, you lie about. But he did. 182 Republicans voted against expelling him from the House today. And of course he lied about 9-11. Why shouldn't he? He's in the Republican Party. Hasn't that party lied about 9-11 quite a bit? On 9-11, George W. Bush came out and said that we were attacked because of our freedoms. That was the first 9-11 lie. We invaded Iraq because of lies about 9-11. George Santos carries on a long tradition of exploiting disaster, exploiting religion, and lying. And his job is safe. And that's a good thing. And he's not getting away with anything. Don't worry. Nassau County prosecutors have opened their investigation into him. The FEC is investigating his fundraising, demanding he comes clean about who his treasurer was. And Citizens United filed an FEC complaint over a Santos staffer who posed as Kevin McCarthy's aide to raise funds. Police have already talked to Santos about this 2017 case regarding credit card and identity theft. Um, one prospective congressional aide has accused him of sexual harassment in his first year. The voters of Long Island's New York 3rd District elected a gay and married Jewish descendant of Holocaust survivors who graduated from Baruch, who worked for Goldman Sachs, lost employees in the Pulse shooting, whose mother died because of 9-11 and ran an animal rescue charity. That's who they voted for. That's not who they got. The real George Santos was not elected. They voted for a series of lies. And it's not so often a guy is so bad. He embodies a failure of Republican integrity, a failure of Democratic Party basic opposition research in an election, a failure of journalism, and a failure of the Long Island voting public. <laughs> but if you grew up there, you wouldn't be that surprised. Part of me wants to lighten up about this. I mean, he, he, he's literally a gay immigrant for Trump. People, isn't that proof that God wants us to laugh? The reality is Republicans have just a five-seat majority, and they have their new rule allowing any one member to trigger a vote on removing the speaker. So it's fraught with peril to try to remove one of your own. But here's, here's the thing. George Santos represents a district that voted for President Biden by 10 points, which means if they had a special election right now, that would probably swing to Democrats and it would tighten the Republican Party's majority even more. So this was never going to happen. He was never going to be thrown out. They don't care about his corruption. He's just messy and sloppy with his lies. And again, I don't think George Santos should resign. I think the Republican Party should have to keep him. They should own him. And they should have to defend him every day while Democrats fundraise off of this. He deserves to be the face of the Republican Party. 
George Santos is the Republican Party. The lying? Republicans are angry about his lies? The party of WMDs in Iraq? The party of will be greeted as liberators? The party of Obama wasn't really born here? The party of COVID's going to go away with the warm weather? They're upset about lies? He lied about his education. <laughs> How many Republicans don't do that? I mean, although usually Republicans lie about that in the context of pretending to not be all that educated. You know what I mean? Like like Louisiana Republican Senator and Rhodes Scholar John Kennedy. I, I call him Ivy League Anonymous. He's literally a Rhodes Scholar, but he talks in public like a man who steals chickens. They dumb down their education. They don't want people to know how educated they are. But Democrats, are you really mad that he's going to stay? I was on Twitter and people were so furious about it. What is wrong with you guys? Do you know how this game is played? George Santos is possibly the greatest embarrassment the Republican House has. And he is the most stark evidence of their craven indifference to basic honesty. He lied about gun violence. He lied about his marriage. He lied about his businesses. He pretended to be charitable. He, he, he may have flashed a white power symbol in the Capitol. It really looks like it. Google the picture. He's lied about 9-11 and exploited 9-11 for professional gain. He pretended to follow a religion he doesn't actually follow. Guys, he's the most Republican Republican we've got. He should have been the speaker. I can't think of anyone more qualified to be the face of this party, except maybe Matt Gates. But Matt Gates is more qualified to be the hideous enlarged forehead of this party. You want to know why you should keep him in the House, Democrats? Because one year from now, one year from this week, you're going to try to win the House. Listen here to Congressman Dan Goldman as he shows you how to use Santos against the party that protects him. Take it, Dan. Recognized. One of my colleagues says... We will hold members accountable. You are the party of George Santos. Who are you holding accountable? The guy is an alleged and acknowledged liar and indicted, and you protect him every day. Don't lecture us with your projection and your defense of Donald Trump. It's pathetic, and it's beneath you, and it's beneath this body, and I yield back. That's how you do it. See, this guy is more of value to Democrats if he's a drag on the Republicans for the next 12 months. Dems. Dems. I'm not in your party. I've never belonged to your party, but I, I, I usually vote for you. Republicans usually make it that I have to vote for you, and I root for you, Democrats. Do you, do you want to take away the chance to fundraise off this hump for the next year? No, you don't want to lose that. You guys want to keep George Santos, keep him there in the House, grab him by the ankles every morning, lift him up, and then beat the Republican caucus with his shrill shrieking carcass. That's what you want to do. Keep him there. Make his name synonymous with Republicans for voters. Because George Santos doesn't deserve Congress. But the Republican Congress deserves George Santos. We want to know what you guys think. And we are at 866-997-4748. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to be live and interactive for the next three hours. 866-997-GRIT is our number. We'll be right back with the great Bob Seska. This is Progress After Dark.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Fifty-five years ago today, George Harrison released his soundtrack to the psychedelic film Wonderwall. And again, that was the first ever solo release by a Beatle, and it's all instrumental. Clapton's on a few tracks, Ringo plays on it as well. No real singles on this one. Probably no songs that you'd know. This is called Red Lady 2. But this was the first time any Beatle ever put out a solo record before the Beatles ever broke up. And today's the anniversary, the night before the final Beatles record, with guitar work from George we've never heard, is finally released. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. I am so glad I got Bob Seska with us. Maybe you fell in love with Bob's brilliance on the Stephanie Miller Show. Maybe his columns at Salon. Maybe you're a big fan of his podcast, The Bob Seska Show, which mixes great new music and politics in ways I can only dream of. Either way, we are blessed every hump day to have the very, very brilliant Bob Seska class up our act over here. Bob, good to see you. Welcome back. Happy uh, Democrats get to use George Santos against the Republicans for one more year day. Yeah, how about that? But, you know, obviously a Republican Party that's more interested in protecting George Santos than it is uh, anything else. It's uh, a party over nation. That's the uh, driving principle behind these people. Indeed, but doesn't it help Democrats? I just began with a rant about how Democrats who are angry about this are out of their cotton-picking minds. You should be thrilled. They can fundraise off this guy for the next year, let him be a drag on the party, make voters identify the Republicans with George Santos. The crazy ones here are the Republicans who voted to keep the guy. I mean, it's it's a district that Biden won by 10 points, so presumably it's going to go to a Democrat next year anyway. I, I, I guess they kept him because that way they don't have to have a special election and they can keep their five seat majority instead of a four seat majority. That's the only yeah. reason I can think of. 
Yeah, it's all about uh, whip counts. I mean, that's primarily what we're talking about here. The thing that drives me nuts about George Santos is bec- he's become this sort of folk character. He's become sort of a Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, punchline. And we saw him <laughs> Saturday night. We saw Bo and Yang playing George Santos on SNL. And, and I wonder sometimes whether or not he just loves every second of this. He just loves the attention. He loves the idea of himself as a disruptor and this guy who will probably even if he's booted out of congress and he goes to prison he's still Mm going to be this folk hero he's still going to probably get out of prison and have this huge social media following he'll probably have a spot on one of the fox news copycat networks somewhere maybe um you know it's just that's the standard thing now that's the grift these days that has become of politics where politics is now sort of woven into entertainment in many circles and the stakes of you know i would say the apocalyptic stakes for humanity uh seem to take a sideline to the fact that well you know as long as we're entertaining as long as we're saying things that will uh, get us attention on social media great Mm -hmm. that's i'm all in that's it that's yeah Yeah, you're exactly right, Bob. Let me let me talk to you about another uh, congressional irritant, if I may, um, and that would be <laughs> Dean Phillips. Now, now, just so people oh, yes. know, um, Joe Biden is uh, in in what two years, almost three, uh, has capped insulin at thirty five dollars a month for Medicare recipients. We now have over the counter hearing aids, the Chips and Science Act, the Infrastructure Act, lowering health care costs, the biggest climate investment in U.S. history. He's ended the longest war we've ever had. The lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, uh, about 10 million new jobs. Um, He's forcing rich tax cheats to finally pay their fair share. He's brought down the deficit, the PACT Act for the veterans, um, and he's confirmed the most diverse set of judges to the federal bench in history while strengthening NATO more than we ever could have imagined. So logically, we need a congressman who's a rich asshole to take him on because he's too old. We need someone with no experience whatsoever working in D.C., I think Biden's record is the greatest defense of his age we've ever seen. But here comes Dean Phillips and uh, from Minnesota now saying he's going to challenge Biden because Biden's old and the polling's not great. Where does this stand? And are we hurting the world by even talking about this guy? Uh, Well, we're going to end up talking about him anyway. And that's the double edged sword of all of this, whether it comes to uh, Donald Trump or Fox News Channel or whatever we see on the uh, far right podcast or what have you. Alex Jones, another example where, yes, we, we have to constantly debunk them and call them out and make sure that plenty of people know what's going on, because. I remember back, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago talking about Alex Jones and hearing from people going, Bob, why are you paying attention to Alex Jones? No one cares about Alex Jones. Right. And suddenly the Republican Party has basically become Alex Jones. I mean, it's it's kind of synonymous now when you've got a a, a giant cross section of the GOP is occupied by people who think that adrenochrome is being harvested in the basement of Comet Ping Pong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that. But I mean, what were we talking about, John? (laughs) We're talking about uh uh we're, we're off george santos now we're on to dean phillips yes. right dean so, phillips. Yeah. yes yes yeah i mean they're yeah. both probably funded by by harlan crow uh i know dean phillips yeah. is funded by harlan crow just like dr yes. west is i'm sure rfk has taken harlan crow money as well kirsten cinema joe manchin the federalist society clarence and jenny mm-hmm. thomas donald trump pretty much anyone harlan crow is trying to bribe i got a red flag 
Yeah, yeah. And we know what his M.O. is. I mean, obviously, he's someone who's going to contribute to chaos agents. And to an extent, <laughs> I would say Dean Phillips is falling into that category, at least in the context of this primary challenge, which doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, at the very least, you have to look at it this way, that even if Dean Phillips doesn't ultimately damage Joe Biden at all through the Democratic primaries, doesn't take any chunks out of him. There's no big deal. Uh, Joe Biden's not spending any extra money to defend himself against charges from Dean Phillips. It's still a risk, though, given the stakes of what we face. Democracy being this ongoing cliffhanger, like every time there's another election, we're like, I don't know if we're going to come out the other side of this thing. And Dean Phillips is risking that eventuality and even worse. Steve Schmidt has signed on to the guy's campaign to yeah. advise him. Let's talk and, about it. Steve Schmidt, yeah. who, uh, who, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people were forgiving Steve Schmidt for being the person that foisted Sarah Palin on the rest of us. A lot of people thought, well, you know, it's amazing how Donald Trump has been so evil. He's made uh, Republicans think that far right folk like Kinzinger or Liz Cheney are more reasonable than they actually are. And, you know, yeah. Steve Schmidt's a very charismatic guy. I know he's got to get paid and feed his family, but Bob, I mean, Steve Schmidt really has a hell of a lot of nerve telling the truth about Donald Trump and then fighting so hard to knock Joe Biden out of the race. Exactly right. Well, that's a thing. And I don't know how to exactly um, peg this guy, because on one hand, he does those really like heavy metal commentaries. They should be accompanied by Gustav Holtz's The Planets. Something, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're so they're gigantic commentaries. And I think every one of us at some point or another has kind of at least mentally stood up and cheered at one yeah, of Steve Schmidt's great. commentaries on he's cable great. news. Yes, he's an outstanding orator when it comes to those rants on cable. The problem is then he gets into an election and he realizes, oh, crap, I need six or seven more kitchens. So therefore, and, and you can That's buy it. things with money. And these candidates in the case of 2020 was Howard Schultz running in the general election as a third party candidate. That's and right. that was an indication of where Steve Schmidt's ultimate loyalties were, which were his checking accounts. And the same thing is happening now with Dean Phillips, where everything Steve Schmidt has said even up to like a couple of weeks ago when he was praising Joe Biden as the next FDR. Yeah, it, that's right. Out the window. It's completely irrelevant now. Everything that Steve Schmidt has said is irrelevant because what he's doing. And again, there is a chance that Dean Phillips is a non-entity, has no effect on the campaign whatsoever. But it's still a risk still, given the yeah. stakes of our elections. My God, why? Why are you doing this, Steve Schmidt? I mean. I was reading I, in I the mean, Atlantic because, I think, because about, Dean Phillips for the same reason Dean Phillips is doing yeah. the race because Dean Phillips is a narcissist with lots of money. Steve Schmidt knows right. Dean Phillips will never get the nomination, will never be president. He's just going to take the guy's damn money. And I get it. Go ahead and yeah. get paid. I've worked for right wing folks in the past. I understand that. But wow. I mean, when you just think about the fact that Steve Schmidt's getting paid to help damage the only person with a reasonable chance of beating Donald Trump. Right, right. Well, here's the other thing about all of this. And you know, it's there's a chance they may not be hiring, but Joe Biden's raising a buttload of money right now. I think yeah. he's far exceeding Donald Trump's fundraising at this point. There's plenty of money floating around out there. I'm sure plenty of ad buys that Steve Schmidt could get a percentage of if he climbed aboard the Joe Biden campaign and actually helped rather than hurting. And mm. but he's not doing that. He's going with Dean Phillips. And 
You know, look, I think a lot of never Trumpers are in this unenviable position. I was in this position myself 40 years ago when I transitioned from being a Republican in high school to a liberal Democrat in college. And so I understand this sort of man without a country idea where they don't quite know what to do. They want to be true to their former values, but they also want to embrace these new values. What's the middle ground we can? Well, maybe. I won't go with Joe Biden, the head of the Democratic Party, but I'll go with this other Democrat who's got, so I can still have this outsider maverick personality, <laughs> this outside, this this character trait of mine. So, I mean, that may be a thing. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of, you know, hearing this guy for so many years screaming about the consequences of a Donald Trump presidency and then making a Donald Trump presidency even more likely by primary challenging the incumbent. Oh, Bob, I cheered. I cheered for Woody Harrelson playing Steve Schmidt in that movie on HBO. I cheered for him. But (laughs) it it goes back to the Liz Cheney thing. You know, just just because someone opposes Trump doesn't mean they're actually heroes of democracy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think John McCain voted against Donald Trump's health care reform to save Obamacare. I think he did it to save the Republican Party. I talk to liberals all the time who love Liz Cheney. They think she's just great. And I've got to say, well, I appreciate what she's doing against Trump. And I appreciate that she told the truth and lost her job for doing it. But Liz Cheney still thinks abortion should be illegal in all 50 states. Liz Cheney still thinks the Iraq war was a swell idea and billionaires have it rough. You know, I I guess it just pays to be reminded of who butters bread for Steve Schmidt and where he's always been. Now now imagine if Liz Cheney went to work for the Cornell West campaign. (laughs) Wouldn't make any sense. I mean, that's the I mean, we know what Liz Cheney's politics are, but at the very least, she's consistent on the issue of democracy versus fascism and that's the and when it comes to i think the two primary issues that we face as not just americans but we face as humans on this planet which is the uh, democracy versus fascism and the climate crisis i mean when it comes to that first thing we know where liz cheney lands on that sort of thing we don't know where the hell steve schmidt is or for that matter dean phillips who by by all means is a yeah, as a, a relatively loyal Democrat who I believe has voted with Joe Biden quite a bit of the th- quite a bit of the time. So, and it's praised uh, Joe Biden endlessly. But yeah. again, it's these rich assholes who think they should be president and they have enough money to buy their way onto a debate stage like it's Doug yeah. Burgum. It's, it's we've seen plenty of this in recent years. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think that's one of the things that is really disillusioning me these days is the dominance of the grift in American politics. I mean, there's always been a grift in politics. I mean, I'm not. You're right. I've studied this for many, many years. But the the fact of the matter is the grift has become more obvious now and more prevalent where there's just so many people who are saying things that they don't believe in simply because that's where the money is. Uh, You know, it, it was this thing that even goes back a couple of decades where as FM personality sort of DJ driven radio was dying, a lot of those DJs decided, hey, some shit's going on over on the AM dial with talk radio. Let's become a conservative Republican and go over there and do a three hour talk show every day. And that was an actual thing. I mean, there were a lot of guys who, who made that kind of move simply because it was a career move. It had nothing to do with values or politics or issues that they were interested in. It had everything to do with, well, that's where the money is. That's where I can still talk on the radio. So boom. And, 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 and that I think bleeds into obviously other forms of media. It's all over the place when it comes to the internet and podcasting and social media. And it's now also a a major part of politics, even more so than it always was. And as we've seen in the past, 
Stuart Stevens and others have talked about why we are where we are as a nation right now. And pinpointed down, it's the consultants. The political consultants have put us yep. here in this divided nation with these yep. divisive politics. I and it, that's all about the grift. It's all about the ad buy. That's what caused you're, it. You're totally right. And and they've ruined a lot of Democratic campaigns, too. I just want to let the folks know the, the new Quinnipiac poll has uh, Dean Phillips at 6%. Uh, our friend Marianne <laughs> Williamson at 8%. Uh, our friend Cenk Uger at 2%. I don't even know how to get into talking about Jank, Bob. I, I, I've loved Jank for years, but wow. Uh, Joe Biden, yeah. uh, 77%. <laughs> so it is a commanding lead. I don't think Joe Biden yeah. is worried at all. But again, this is just, you know, and, and listen, Joe Biden should get challenged, of course. I mean, he, you know, it's fine. You want to challenge him for the nomination? Go ahead and do it. He should be battle tested. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt him to have to defend his record right now. Give him the practice. But um, I just, I, I don't know. But Dean Phillips, who has no shot. Uh, it's just, I, I don't get it. I understand Marianne yeah. Williamson running. I understand Cornell West running. I mean, RFK, I'm still, I, you know, look, I'm not anti-third party. I just don't totally understand any of this. Can I, yeah. can I, can I shift a little bit and ask you about Donald Trump's gag orders? Because I wanted oh, to yes. talk to you about this. Um, it seems like every time a judge slaps a fine on Donald Trump for violating a gag order, Donald Trump raises 10 times what that fine was that night by playing victim to the MAGAs. And at this point, it seems like violating his gag order has become a really lucrative fundraising tool. What is your take <laughs> on where we're at right now? And do you think any of these judges are going to go ahead and revoke bail and be tired of it? I I like that the gag orders are in place. I like that they were issued. I like that they're being enforced, at least with Judge Engeron. I think that's important. However, I do believe that in the two cases where there are absent gag orders and the other two cases where the gag orders came in too late in the process, that's the problem because the damage has already been done. Donald Trump has already soured the jury pool. He's already threatened witnesses. He's already uh, sent marching orders to his flying monkeys. And we saw that happen with that Alabama guy going after Fonnie Willis and the sheriff in Fulton County and threatening them. And so this is something that should have happened at the very beginning because the same with the, you know, coming down the escalator in 2015 and so many people looking at Donald Trump and going, oh, who's this guy? What's he all about? And not realizing that he's got decades of history of being talk about a grifter uh, and talk about a loser. And, uh, you know, he was I always thought of Donald Trump as the cartoon character from New York City before he was ever in politics. That's that was <laughs> when someone would ask me about that. Oh, you mean the cartoon character from New York? Oh, I get that. Yeah. Um, he was like that. He was for us. He was always like the naked cowboy. He's just this goofy thing that we have here in the city. And, yeah, and, right, uh, that, right. That tourists found interesting. Yeah. So the idea is that this should come as no surprise that Donald Trump is threatening witnesses, that Donald Trump is pushing the boundaries of what he can get away with in the course of being prosecuted. And so um, and I again, I, this is me just shouting at the clouds. Right. But the fact of the matter is that these gag orders should have been applied on day one and where they haven't been applied yet, they need to be applied right now. I'm not going to hold my breath about Judge Eileen Cannon, but she needs to apply gag orders because they know what Donald Trump is going to do. There is no mystery in terms of his behavior, his motivations and how he operates when it comes to his perceived enemies. So this will continue. This will continue to get worse. He'll continue to push these buttons. And you know what he's doing? He also 
He's also hiding behind the traditions of the American presidency and the idea that, oh, well, you know what? We shouldn't apply the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to Donald Trump here because that would just be way too abnormal. I mean, he's running. We can't take away his. No, he's playing that game. He's betting that the institutionalists will win out. He's actually using institutionalists to try to get away with threatening witnesses and tampering with the jury pool and all the rest of it. That's that's his game in all of this. He's hoping that people will say, oh, he's running for president and he's being gagged. He can't use his he can't exercise his First Amendment rights. How dare they do this to him? I hate Donald Trump, but he should at least be allowed to have free speech rights. That's what he's counting on. That's what he's hoping for. Yeah, that's right. But what's the solution? Because let's say someone revokes his bail because he violates it again and he gets a weekend in jail. He'll raise millions from it. He'll raise millions from it. I mean, it's the whole concern with taking him off the ballot in all these states for me is why do we want to line up and help Donald Trump fuel his narrative of white grievance and help make him a martyr? And I don't have an answer for it. I mean, it, it just seems like any kind of sanctions they impose on him, he will profit from. I've never seen anything like this before. I you know what, John, as I'm hearing you ask that question, I'm I'm thinking about this in terms of one of the reasons why the United States won the Cold War against the Soviet Union. We outspent them. We forced them to spend money on nuclear missiles and a space program. And we basically bankrupted the Soviet Union. Maybe the idea here is to bankrupt Donald Trump or not bankrupt Donald Trump, but bankrupt his supporters, max out all of his supporters. I don't think there are millions still to be contributed to Donald Trump. I think a lot of people are either maxed out or coming to the end of what they can spend on this guy, especially knowing that a lot of that money is not going to running for president. It's going to his legal defense. It's going to. You know, whatever else he's used, the self-dealing that he's been famous for, notorious for. So mm-hmm. that's and, and, and I, I don't I think that there's a ceiling on not only Donald Trump's electoral support, which I think he's already bashing his pumpkin head against right now. But mm. I think the same applies to his fundraising. I think there's only a limited amount of money that's willing to be spent out there. And we're already seeing Joe Biden going way beyond Donald Trump's fundraising totals, Mm. because I think in part Donald Trump has been, you know, tapping that well too often. You can only go to that audience so many times and have them, you know, open up their checkbooks. You know what I mean? Well, but of course, there's always the wild card of foreign money we don't know about going to the Save America PAC. Um, Bob, while I still have you, there's this new congressional map. That is taking North Carolina from having one of the fairest voting maps in the USA to its most biased and shocker voters of color are among the biggest victims. This comes after a big legal and political battle. But the Republican controlled legislature has enacted a total redistricting of U.S. House seats that will give the Republican Party control of three or four more seats to offset the Democratic gains elsewhere. I know we shouldn't be surprised, but what can be done about this? This is insane. Well, I think this is going to be challenged in court. And and to be clear about the numbers in North Carolina, the district makeup right now is is even Stevens, seven Republican districts, seven Democratic districts. I mean, they should all be competitive. It, sh- it shouldn't be a matter of one party controlling one district and another party controlling another district. That's a separate issue. But what the Republicans are doing is 
they split it up in a way that Republicans now get 10 districts. Democrats get three districts. Right. And then there's one crazy gimme district. That's a toss up district that's actually competitive, which is where there's democracy. All the districts should be competitive. But yeah. Right. Yeah. So this so, is it. They've rigged the game for themselves again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mississippi, they just Alabama, they all just keep doing this and we have to watch. Right. Yes. Well, I, I that's just the thing. And I think the mission here has got to be and I think we all need to get behind this. And in fact, I think it ultimately could be a bipartisan issue, depending depending on how it's pitched. And that is a constitutional amendment to end gerrymandering. I know uh, Barack yeah. Obama and Eric Holder have been working on this as their sort of post-presidency project and and maybe get behind them. But I think there's uh, there's something to be said about a campaign where, you know, Democrats say, hey, look, we're willing to put down our weapons. If you put down your weapons, we're willing to give up our gerrymandered districts. And there are Democratic gerrymandered districts out there. We're we're willing to give that up if Republicans, if you're willing to give it up, too. And I'm sure you would like to be competitive in some of these areas that you're not competitive in and 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 create a, a compromise in that sense. Get behind us on this uh, this uh, constitutional amendment. And I think that's the only real way to go, because just a, a law or a state law or something along those lines, that's subject to courts and challenges, lawsuits, et cetera, and a constitutional amendment will not be subject to any of those things. And that's a, that's a mandatory thing, I think. I mean, ultimately, oh, democracy depends on this. This is why we love Bob Seska, because he comes in here and makes <laughs> us all smarter. Bob, what's the best way for our <laughs> listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Ah, uh, yes, you can follow my podcast, The Bob Seska Show, everywhere you get your podcasts. Also on Patreon at bobseskashow.com. Thank you so much, Bob. It's great to see you. Thanks, we'll friend. be right back with your calls in just a moment. This is Sirius XM Progress After Dark. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. This is Sirius XM Progress After Dark. The Department of Education is floating a new plan to try to forgive student debt, which could provide relief for several more categories of borrowers as they try to chip away at the nation's enormous student loan debt problem. After the Supreme Court squashed the president's broad plan to do so this summer, and why not? It's slowing down our economy. Young people should not have all of this crushing student loan debt they have to pay to banks. It's keeping them from enjoying home mortgage debt they have to pay to banks. Good luck, President Biden. Right now, I'm really pleased to welcome back a friend of the show we haven't had on in a while. Paul Mercurio is an Emmy Award winning and Peabody Award winning comedian who's worked on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, you've seen him make many appearances on The Late Show and other national shows. He's co-hosted Star Talk with our friend Neil deGrasse Tyson. Paul's an actor. He hosts the critically acclaimed podcast Inside Out with Paul Mercurio. I always make him tell the story how he got Paul McCartney to be on his podcast. And he's been a commentator on MSNBC, CBS, Sunday Morning, HLN, CNN. Uh, but Paul has also created and starred in a really cool, unique concept, one-man Broadway show, Paul Mercurio's Permission to Speak. Now, a couple of years ago when he was on Broadway, Paul came on to talk about it quite a lot. And it's a, it's a very different kind of format. It's not a stand-up show. It actually is a show that involves the audience members 
doing most of the talking and sharing their fun and wacky and jaw-dropping stories. Now the play is back. It's being taken on the road in a very unique new production that is directed and produced by Frank Oz who, of course, is a legendary director, one of the creators of The Muppets, the creator of Yoda, and uh, has done, my God, Little Shop of Horrors, Bowfinger, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, it is always a great pleasure to welcome Paul Mercurio back to SiriusXM. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, my friend. It's been too long. It's great to see you. It's, it's really great. great. Great yeah. to see you, and I'm thrilled your show is going up. How, how, how was your Halloween, Paul? It was good. It was good. It was interesting because it brought back memories, uh, you know, going out, for Halloween and as a kid and just how times have changed and how innocently inappropriate things were back then when we were kids. And I remember seeing, uh, I saw a picture of myself when I was a kid, every Halloween, my parents would dress me as a hobo. That's what they called okay. it. That, that was the, yes. that was, that was the old clothes and put on some, you know, brown stuff on your face and send you out. And yeah, I, I, thought, thought I, found, of, I found the homeless man Halloween costume didn't sell as well as the hobo back then. Exactly. But that's exactly my point is like I thought about it and it's like you couldn't do that today. It's a homeless person. It would be considered insensitive and it would be appropriate to consider it insensitive because think about it. And I know a lot of people that when I bring this up, it's like I brought this up in conversation. Our parents dressed us as homeless people and then sent us out onto the streets at night to collect free food in front of real <laughs> homeless people. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you, and you know, I never got candy. I got baked beans and a harmonica. That was it. There was like nothing there, right? <laughs> that was back but when it, you trick-or-treated on the rails with Woody Guthrie, I know. Exactly. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it uh, took the, brushed the dust off you from the dust bowl. But, um, but yeah, it just, it just, I don't know, it just, just, just just a little bit of a flashback there of like, you know, kind of what was what was it like that? And then the other weird thing that we did, and I don't know if I ever brought this up with you on the show, but when I was in a boys club. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. And my parents had me go to the boys club a lot. And we did this thing called All Boys Naked Swim. Oh, my. And you were required to swim naked between the okay. ages of seven and nine because they didn't. They, the, the argument was that they didn't want the lint from the bathing suit to clog the filters of the pool. And I'm like, can you imagine today? Oh, that was that was that the argument? Was that was that what they told you was the reason? <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's just a lazy pedophile right there coming up. With I was going to say, yeah, yeah, but, wow. But uh, it's just a. It, I don't know why I had these flashbacks uh, yesterday of sort of. You know, and, oh, I, and, I know why it was Halloween. I was walking my kid around New York City and it just brought back so many, so many memories. And, and yeah. you know, I'm still trying to find a, a sexy Mother Teresa costume because because that's uh, but last year I went as uh, the Republican Party's um, health care plan. But I I never made it out of the house. Ah, thank you. Well done. Here all week. Here all well, week. Well, well done. Well, we're going to be fine with Johnson and in, in, uh, Trump's acolyte and uh I thought yeah. Jordan was going to get it. I really did. I mean, he seemed like he was making some headway, but nine and two. But they went I, for. Uh, uh, they found someone creepier who has access to a sports coat, and that's all it took. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Every Republican congressman who voted against Jim Jordan because he wouldn't certify the election voted for this guy who wouldn't certify the election and brought an amicus brief before the Supreme yeah. Court. Just yeah. madness. This guy presents well and. Uh, there's just, an, it, it's, you know, it's, they're doing a good job of derailing the Republican. It's not the Republican party anybody recognizes anymore. That's for sure. And, uh, really and, true. and I, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, ultimately what will happen is, you know, they'll implode. Like, I don't know why they don't see, 
you know, you know, Trump is great at using anything that's negative from about himself to just continue to generate press. And yet I can't believe that they can't find anyone else in that party that can lead them other than Trump. And uh, what is that about? Where does that? It's not up to them. It's not up to them. They've spent decades cultivating this low information, white nationalist voting base. Decades. Mm -hmm. Fox News built this. Newt Gingrich built this. They used to be, when I was a kid, when we were young, they were a conservative party with a white nationalist fringe. Mm -hmm. And now they've become a white nationalist party with a conservative fringe. And you know, here in New York State, try finding a Republican you can book to come on a show to defend Trump. I mean, there just aren't a lot of them. Right. But they're also afraid to, um, they're afraid, they're just, they're, they're voiceless, right? They won't defend them, but they won't come out and attack him either because there's enough people that can sway there. It's sort of the worst. It's the worst kind of thing, right? To not stand for anything except yeah. keeping yourself in power. And that's where that's it. things and that's where things and, get and ugly. That's the trap they're in. We've seen it with Jeff Flake. We've seen it with Kinsinger, with Liz Cheney. I mean, if you tell if you if you tell the truth, if you engage in facts, you're right. out of a job in Congress. And we I just, almost feel sorry for them, but I, I, I don't. They've all built this. Even Mitt Romney, who talks a good game but voted with Trump like 85% of the time. Right. It, it's, it's, it's really sad. It's not conservative. It's not sustainable. It's not sane. It's not Christian. And it's dividing us more than ever in our lifetimes. Yeah. We just had Kinsinger on the show, on the late show tonight promoting yeah. his book. And, and it, it's so funny you mentioned it because it got me to thinking about Liz Cheney and how, uh, you know, I, I am not necessarily Republican, but man, did I do I have a lot of respect for her. And she is nowhere to be seen and nowhere to be found. And I had been hoping that somehow she was going to sort of be able to whip up some enough moderate Republicans that could kind of go against Trump and run against him and that she'd be in this pack. And, you know, that to me was the most of everything other than January 6th, the most disarming and the most alarming thing was to see her just completely ostracized. Yeah. Like they, they don't need, they, it's like, you don't exist. We don't want to hear it. You're dead to us. We want this guy who's a charlatan and always has been and always will be, you know, my law firm, uh, that represented him in his bankruptcies. And then he tried to stiff the law firm like everybody else on a million and a half dollars because uh, the IRS changed their their ruling and, and Trump owed it was like a billion dollars, multi hundreds of millions of dollars in the bankruptcy, and he squabbled over one and a half million dollars. So they fired him as a client. So you have this, well, yeah. And so Cheney, that's now, why he bars, is, That's why he had to go to Deutsche Bank because no American banks would loan him money anymore. Exactly, exactly. And I don't see, I don't see any way out of it. And I got to, you know, look. I like Biden; he's great. But like, there's some low hanging fruit there. There are there aren't a lot of great Democratic candidates. They could, if they put a solid candidate up, they could probably win the office again. The Republicans, and by solid, I mean somebody who's not completely insane and yeah. doesn't have this base. But I don't well, there's see the it. irony. Donald Donald Trump might be the best hope Joe Biden has of a second term. Um, exactly. With Liz Cheney, you're right. Like Liz, this is Dick Cheney's daughter. This is someone I was saying this earlier in the show. This is someone who thinks the Iraq War was a great idea. She thinks the billionaires right. need another tax cut and abortion should be illegal in all fifty states. And they're calling her a rhino. They're calling her a Democrat because she committed the crime of telling the truth that Donald Trump didn't win the election. And it, 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 it makes me admire 
Well, I, for one, I want to talk about the work you do, but also it yeah. makes me admire the fact that we're seeing this unexpected organized labor resurgence in the middle of all of this. Yes. And yeah. I wanted to check in with you because uh, uh, we haven't spoken since the Writers uh, Guild finally came to terms. And mm. what a great moment that the union was able to get a deal that the members found acceptable. I mean, we see yeah. this with UPS and we're now with the with the auto workers. It's really been inspiring. How was the Writers Guild strike for you, Paul? It was, you know, it was it was uncomfortable and it was difficult at times you know because i'm still doing stand-up but you know you know that that just slowed it it just killed us at the late show we were in reruns and so like you know i was surprised that we got you know and when i say we the collective we including you and everybody's a writer's guild we got what we got because but i wasn't surprised because there's so much tumult in the whole scheme of the entertainment business all of these bit major networks are chasing their tail or running for their lives because of streaming and digital and things, everything being just, you know, sort of just uh, everybody stealing audience. Nobody really knows. Right. So, yeah, I think they didn't they didn't that, that the that the production companies and the networks didn't have a hard, solid handle on what their business is and their business model is. So it was difficult for them to take a really hard stance. Because I, uh, you know, speaking as a former lawyer, whatever whatever agreement that they agreed to, to today, in a year and a half, because of technology, it's going to be obsolete. Because I think yeah. technology is really running Hollywood, not Hollywood. It's how people consume content is affecting how you and I, as content makers, make our content, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised that the writers got what they got, and um, and and look, it was a good thing. I think the people that made out the best to be Honest with you, is my wife and my dog and my son because they just wanted me out of the house after five months. As I am, <laughs> so my my wife actually said to me, "You're chewing too loud." I like almonds. Okay, I'm an almond guy. You're chewing too loud. I'm chewing the. I'm I'm like I was literally chewing almonds in a closet. And then my dog, I noticed whenever I would walk into the room, would give me a dirty look and get up and walk into the other room. I swear to yes. God, and and it's like. It's like uh, this uh, this ass again, and he walk into that room, and then and if I walk into that room, he looks at me like, really, we just we just got comfortable in here, and wow. so yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they and could give you a, material. Yeah, exactly. And this is also a dog with a weak sphincter, by the way. We adopted oh. the dog. They didn't tell her how to weak sphincter, so it sort of you know has these accidents. Basically, my house looks like an assisted living facility. It's just wee pads everywhere. It's insane, but. Uh, I understand. but it's, a, it's not it wasn't a good thing for anybody but the but the thing that struck me the most was that they were able to get you know minimum number of writers to go back to the writer strike in the room and and demand that so to kind of push back against the ai because you know you can say what you want about ai but in when it comes to writing especially writing on a show it's the rewrite process is where the really where the art is right yes and you can't well, that's but, but again I, that makes me worried that writers are going to become rewriters because the first drafts will be done by ai in every case so, yeah you know i mean we'll we'll see but this is this actually leads me to to your show paul because mm. we are this divided and yeah. um i always marvel at how you can do sets that it can take the most right-wing people and the most left-wing people and, and make them be brothers in a comedy club. And I've seen you do it many times. And what I like about your show, Permission to Speak, is that it's not a stand-up show starring you. It's, it's a show that stars you and the audience. And it really is incredibly democratic because <laughs> it's, it's all about taking strangers in an audience and letting them learn each other's stories. Your, your whole show really is built around the very human need and ability for real connection between strangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 
you know this as a content creator you could sit in a room all day and say okay we're going to do this and then we're going to come up with a show like this and you just can't find it but then you start doing something and organically something comes about like that's how back in black came about on daily show we had all these little stories we couldn't give them to john to do and they were like what are we going to do with these i know we, we let's give them to lewis and it was perfect for lewis and and it wasn't yeah. we just fell into it and the same thing with this so i was doing this in clubs and i started you know, you do the crowd work. Anybody listening, that means you, you talk to somebody about their hat or whatever for a minute, or maybe, you know, and then you just move on to your joke. But then I would get answers that 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 rose that would that would give rise to more questions. So these turned into full on conversations where I was getting these amazing stories. And um, some some producers saw me doing it in New York and uh, and they said, were those people plans? I'm like, no, they go, well, how did it all work out? I go. I don't know. I just talk to people. I'm honest. I'm not trying to be mean or, you know, compromise them, call them on their BS if they're BSing me, but just let them tell their stories. And I found and what we what I and so that's how the show was born. And what drew Frank Oz to it was the humanity of it. And he keeps saying we need a show like this now because of the divisiveness. And so the premise of the show is we're disconnected, we're nameless and faceless, and we're getting more and more divided. But if we talk and share stories, we realize we have more in common than we think, and maybe we're not so divisive, right? So if you're extreme right and I'm extreme left, I ain't ever gonna, it's not the old, it's not like Gore Vidal and, and, and uh, Buckley where you could actually have, this is just, you're, if I don't believe 100% in what you believe in, uh, I'm dead to you and vice versa, right? I yep. can't be the guy in the middle and I should be able to be the guy in the middle. Like, and when I say that in my stand-up act, people applaud. Like, can I believe in a little bit of what you believe in, a little bit of what you believe in, some of what I believe in, and when I'm not the devil. So what ended up happening was, in sharing the stories, two people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum, say politically, will start to talk to each other about politics because they start to go, you know what, that guy who I thought was the complete devil, well, he's got a dog that pees all the time too. And he's got a dog, yeah, exactly. he's got a wife that's, uh, you know, working three jobs. Well, maybe I'll listen to his political views. And that's kind of what ended up happening with the show. Or go beyond his political views. I mean, it's one thing to say that our commonalities outweigh our differences, but it's really a beautiful thing to 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 get a reminder of that. Can I can I play a little clip from your show? We don't play a yeah. lot of clips from live theater shows, but this is not like an ordinary show. Um, let's play, Chris. The uh, This is very quick. This is the you talk to a guy in the audience who you wound up getting him to tell this story about how he came out to his mom. He, let's yeah. Let's roll a little bit of that. I was a pretty gay little boy. <laughs> How did you react when he told you? <laughs> the first thing she said was, why are you telling me at 1030 at night? <laughs> now, now, that's just a short clip, right? Yeah. yeah. But that says a lot to me because it's really what real life is about. What does that mean? The mother knew that mom's your, your, your wife, my wife, or their kid, the, the mom, the child mom with them. She knew he's gay. It was like, I, yes. I, I, duh, I know that. Can I, I got a big meeting in the morning and there was a, there was a, it, I, it, I get goosebumps thinking about it. There was sort of a beauty to it. There was like a, it was just a lovely moment. Cause I said to him, I'm always amazed that people who are gay have to keep that secret and how hard that is. And what was that like? And that's when he said, well, I was a pretty gay little boy. Now, that guy's never been a performer. So what happens now is he's comfortable on stage and he's revealing who he is and he's making jokes and the laughs all emanate from those conversations. And he and feels so, so welcome in the room and it makes people open up more. 
Yes, and that's what I've been told that, that they 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 do. I think audiences are intuitively smart, as you know. They may not be IQ smart, smart sometimes, but they know if someone's got a, an agenda. And mine is just to be have this open. I just want it to feel like we're hanging out in somebody's basement, having a conversation, and having a couple of drinks. It's what you do on your show. While you're so brilliant, it's you're so intelligent, but you're funny. But you're open to everybody, and you keep an open mind. And it's very rare you see that. And so. We have another clip, and I don't know if you want to play it or not. But um, well, I, I want to play the really I want to play the Dom sub relationship if I can, because here's here's a great example of how you can take something that might be very foreign and scary to to people who don't mm. understand someone else's culture or lifestyle, mm. and yet immediately break it down and make it a small room. Here's here's another very quick clip from uh, Paul Mercurio's permission to speak. I was kind of looking for a dom, and he's a dom, and he was looking for a sub, and so we kind of hooked up, and that's what we were going for, but then we fell in love, and we've been together over three years. It's about sexual power exchange, so if you can imagine that she would be in a position where she, I make the decisions about what we're going to do sexually, and she follows those those instructions. So it's nice to give that over to him. Oh, it's amazing to be able to just, yeah, it's great. And if he says to do something that you're not like want to do, can you say no? Of course, because I'm really the one in control. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an S&M story I could take my mom to, Paul. You bring this (laughs) out to the audience. So these people were 68 and 70. Okay. Whoa, whoa. He's got sensible shoes on, a a little button-up shirt, like looks like your average guy from suburbia. Now, what I loved about that, I learned so much. So he just explained it very, like, you know, in a proud way, this is about sexual power exchange. And and, And because of length, we cut it out. But what the reason, the reason that she's a sub and he's a dom, not because of male, female, uh, gender issues, it's because she wanted that because she said, I have a very important job and I have a lot of pressure and I have to be in control of a lot of things and a lot of people. And it's nice to have a moment where you're not in control and somebody else is in control. That takes it from a freak sex act to just yes. a physical manifestation of an emotional need that somebody exactly. has. Exactly. That's there's the universal. I mean, you are you are doing a funny show that's edgy but still wholesome and you're connecting people in these divisive times. Yeah, and the connecting is really a good point because after the second show, you know, you say goodnight and people leave the theater, but 80% of them were still in their seats standing up. And I said to my stage manager, I go, is there a problem? He goes, no. I go, well, why is everybody serious? He goes, I don't know. It turned out, because I, I say in the show, if we share stories, we realize we have more in common. Than when we talk, we connect. They were connecting on their own. So they were going up to, they were going up to, you know, somebody who was a farmer. I was a farmer. I, you grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. And there were these connections that they were making. And people were coming back repeatedly because every show is different. Nice. So what I do with the show is I'm not telling you what to think because there's too much of that. I'm not telling yeah. you how to feel. I end the show by saying, look, this is what I took away from the show tonight. You take away from it what you want because it's your show right to the very end. Nice. And I walk off. Nice. And then that's it. And so it's and, been really, and- really wonderful. Uh, the Wall Street Journal calls the show unforgettable. Time Out said um, a show by the masses for the masses. I got to tell you, though, if I had Frank Oz directing my show, I, I'd never rehearse. I'd just be asking him to tell Brando stories the entire time. <laughs> oh, my God. We were just it, I am having so much fun with him because he's such a ball buster in a fun way. 
and um he's got so many great stories but oh yeah he's so good like we had a session yesterday because we we we've erected this set that we're touring with and it's it's a giant screen and we're doing rear projection into the screen of images and boxes and different things so one of the things we do is we take photographs of people when they come in the lobby we don't tell them why and then via wi-fi we it gets projected through digital mapping that we use. I'm using the same company that we use at the late show. When we project people's pictures onto the set at different points in the night who are in the audience so that they literally are on stage. So, so, so we, so we have this really great technology and we were rehearsing the screen today and it was like a masterclass with Frank. When we start, he was walking me through, you've acted, right? And this isn't acting, it's just blocking and this and that. It's just been incredible, but he's so funny and he's such a ball buster. And he talks like your dad and he, and when he really corrects you, you kind of snap it to attention. Like, I'm sorry, sir. Yes, yes, yes. But he's really great. It's been, <laughs> it's been so fun. And you do sit there sometimes and go, um, Yoda is directing me. This is pretty exactly. crazy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like Mr. Crazy. E. Fozzie Bears. Yeah. So many oh great films. Oh my God. He's Paul, so I'm much so, about substance. I'm so glad that this show is has got a new life after the Broadway run. You're playing uh, the Pollock Theater in Monmouth, New Jersey, November 11th. North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Skokie, Illinois, November 18th. Uh, Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in Orlando in December. And more dates in 2024. You're going all over the country. And this is honestly a live show that you can bring anybody to. I mean, anybody, yeah. any age, any background, any demographic, hipster, old folks, you name it. What is the best way, Paul, for our listeners to keep up with you and your work and get the whole touring schedule? Because everyone should see so, this. Yeah, uh, my website's the best place for the schedule, and uh, that's uh, Paul Mercurio, one R in my last name, M-E-C-U-R-I-O, paulmercurio.com. We got, uh, it's right on the homepage and also in the tour page as well. And uh, you can click, there are links there to get you right to tickets. November 11th is the uh, opening of the tour, the pr- and that is at the Pollock Theater in New Jersey. Love folks to come out if, you, if you're in that area. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and then um, also at Paul Mercurio is my social media, just my name. And uh, I'm really excited about it because, you know, it's an extension of what I do, but like you have this show and your show is making a difference or doing, thank you, contributing something. Well. In a weird way, part, I feel this like... This is just part show. of my parole, Paul. Just part of my parole is all this is. But. <laughs> well, in a weird way, this is like to, to kind of... I had some woman come back and squeeze my hand so hard and she almost broke it. She started crying. She goes, you've got to keep doing the show. We need a show like this. She came back four or five times and brought people. So it's been really cool. But it's fun. It's a funny show. It's not like a maudlin thing. We're just having a lot of no, fun, but a lot great. of honesty is coming out. Well, call us on the road and let us know how the tour is going. And I look forward to having you back in studio. My best to your wife, yeah. the great Paul Mercurio, everybody. Thank you for joining us, Paul. We'll be right back on Sirius XM. Don't go away. I am very pleased to welcome back to the show our good friend, Dr. Tracy Pearson. She's a legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV and radio and the podcasts and quoted in Forbes and Fast Company, the New York Post and Cheddar News and News Nation. We are always blessed to have Dr. Tracy come and class up the joint. Tracy, welcome back. It's good to see you. Happy November. Thank you. And happy November to you. It's wonderful to see you because every time that I I spend with you every Wednesday, I always walk away feeling better about the world in some manner. 
Well, that's because you don't have to live with me. Um, no, listen to me. <laughs> to me, it's like at some point, hope becomes logical. And uh, despair to me is privilege. You know, I, I've, I felt for a long time because I'm a manic depressive. I have been my whole life. I'll send you a whole list of all the drugs they put me on. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we really are all in this together and we are resisting the same kinds of evil, uh, despair is something you don't get to do. Uh, you you got to check out. Don't look at the news for a couple days. Clean your brain, but then get back in the game because I have really come to believe that despondency is privilege. We need people in the fight and it's better to be engaged and working towards something than sitting around thinking how miserable it all is. I I, I agree with you. I, I think I get frustrated. I get frustrated because it's so incredibly hard to communicate with people today and it's hard to have these conversations and in a i hate using this word safe way because it people are so quick to throw labels on people and it's it's more important than ever now to have conversations because nothing like for example the the what's going on with israel and 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 palestine um there's gonna have to be some change there and both yeah. parties are going to have to walk away unhappy. I was a mediator at one point in my career. Mm-hmm. Going to have to mm-hmm. walk away unhappy. And if That's you right. try to have that conversation with somebody who happens to identify as a Zionist, that conversation is anti-Semitism to them, to many of them, or or, or with someone who is, um, you know, uh, uh, a little stridently anti-Zionist who thinks that any concessions from the Palestinians will they've given enough, and and Absolutely. clearly uh, that the Palestinians have suffered uh, incredibly. That doesn't change the fact that Hamas are Nazi terrorist douchebags who uh, who have to go. They just it, it has to happen. I mean, these people live in such poverty, and yet uh, the leaders of Hamas don't live in the country and are billionaires who live far away. It's just this perpetual festering wound. And it's the kind of chaos that allows a lot of evil chaos agents to thrive. And I would love to see something that put Hamas and the Netanyahu regime out of business. And it looks like both of those things might be happening very soon. I hope so. I've been monitoring the news nonstop. And and it sounds like uh, President Biden has been having some conversations about uh, how how Netanyahu's days may in fact be numbered when it comes to his political career, I believe that a lot of what we're seeing, um, you know, with with foreign nationals being allowed to leave, with children being allowed to be treated, with um, Palestinian adults who who are the most injured being allowed to be treated by another country, I think we're starting to see. Um, I think President Biden's um, diplomacy at work. Even to the extent that now, instead of um, you know threatening missiles, uh, surrounding countries are saying, "No, maybe we'll do an oil embargo and 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 do a ban on food exports," um, yeah. and in an attempt to to pressure Israel to to knock it off. Um, yeah. And I I I'm starting to feel like that is 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 a a Biden diplomatic you know, uh, attempt to persuade people away from violence. Let me play a quick clip. This is earlier today. State Department spokesperson Matt Miller was asked about uh, the United States position on a post-conflict Gaza. Give a listen. Do we have the clip, Chris? I'm so sorry. Yes, yes, we do. Chris. I I was in my (laughs) laboratory. I was there in the laboratory. Something something has to happen, obviously, in terms of the governance of Gaza when and if and after all of this is over do you think that the israeli government is more open now to to talking about this 
So I, again, don't want to get ahead of um, I don't want to get ahead of, of conversations that still need to take place. I will say um, we have made very clear that two things are true. Number one, Hamas cannot continue to govern and administer Gaza and use it as a, um, a launching pad for terrorist attacks against Israel. Number two, Gaza cannot be occupied by Israel. And so what the what the uh, alternative it is between those two poles is a matter that we will discuss uh, here inside the United States government, a matter we will discuss with the Palestinian people and Palestinian leadership, and a matter we will discuss with country, with partners in the region. Meanwhile, let me just play this clip. This is pretty interesting. Um, on SiriusXM POTUS, uh, mm-hmm. Gallup's Muhammad Yunus shared some new polling from Palestinians on where their faith is at this point in a two-state solution with uh, Michael Smirkanish. Give a listen. We didn't find a lot of uh, confidence in a two-state solution. Actually, you know, it ranges from 16 to 34 percent of Palestinians now say in Gaza, sorry, specifically say that they support a, a, a situation where there's an independent Palestinian state existing alongside an independent state of Israel. Most tragically, it's the lowest among younger Palestinians. And I get that. But I think if you ask them, what would you prefer, a two state solution or shit to go on like it's been going on your entire life, you'd see a different result. And and I'm going to say something that probably is very controversial. And I've been asking this question a lot um, and nobody can really give me an answer that isn't sarcastic, which is there's a third option, which is that it is a unified, unified country as opposed to a divided territory. And and I understand that that is that is aberrant in in, in the minds of, of many um, Jewish people and but, Palestinians, too, and, and Palestinians. But, you know, not that we are a, a hallmark, you know, something to, to hold up to the world is, is you know, being inclusive, um, or at least in our behaviors, um, in the way that, that we treat um, people who are, are not in the privileged class. But I think that that it is it is. At this point, I am, you know, I've been doing so much reading, John, you know me, I do so much reading and trying to understand the history of things. And and the more I learn, the more I'm disgusted as to how we got here. (laughs) And, 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 and it it is infuriating. And, um, you know, I I was saying that, that I think one of the reasons why, why uh, people are, you know, we used to call ourselves as Democrats being being, you know, uh, you know, we understand intersectionality and we understand all these things. No, you don't. It's the progressives that do. And then, and then there's the portion of the party that's that's not the progressives that really have no clue as to how they view the world yes. and what lenses they're placing in front of their eyes through their lifetime that is skewing their vision. And mm. and I think the progressives really do have a handle on on what lens they're looking through in that moment and that is kissing off the other part of the party um because you know you can um you know not condone hamas and their behavior um i can't condemn them because i don't i don't there's there's oh you can I, i can i can condemn hamas i have no problem making that leap you can make that leap. I'm uncomfortable with it because it is it, the definition slaughter of, of slaughter of civilians, slaughter of civilians. You, you, you've got my condemnation. Just as I, I get, condemn the I Bush it. administration for the slaughter of Iraqi civilians, I, I have no problem there. And I get that. And I get that. But from my perspective is that my condemnation means nothing. I, it is whether people are really asking me 
do I do I approve of? Do I condone what has happened? Not I have no authority to condemn anybody because that has to do it comes from the word censure. I and, and so, you know, for me, it's I don't condone that behavior. That behavior is not acceptable. It is wrong. It is vile. It is heinous. It is lots of things. Um, but I think that that, you know, as I as I I think that you can say that you don't condone it and you can stand up for people who who have been colonized. Okay, I yeah. mean, the fact is, is they've been colonized and and. I think that that you can do both of those things simultaneously, but if you start to wiggle in one direction or the other too much, there's a portion of our party that just loses their shit. And, I know. and it's like, knock it off. There's, it's I not know. pie. It's not pie. There's a plenty to go around here. You know? I know. And I know. But, but th- I mean, crazy. this is... This is like I said, this is divided Americans and divided friends and family in ways I've only seen twice this century, the Iraq mm-hmm. war and uh, the Donald Trump presidency. Let me let me bring in a couple of listeners. Stephen in Los Angeles. You've been on hold the longest. Thank you for your patience. You're on with Dr. Tracy Pearson. Welcome. Hey, Stephen. Oh, yeah. you know, I've been on hold for a while listening to some of this Israel stuff, and I, I, I wanted to call in and weigh in. If Please okay. appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you. Please do. This this would have never happened if Trump was in office. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. I'm just okay, kidding. thank God. He's <laughs> a comedian. No, no, uh, I actually agree with everything you guys say. I, I've just been uh, listening for so long now, I almost have nothing else to add. It's your right <laughs> on. Uh, your, your interview with uh, Rothkopf yesterday was, was so good. Thanks. Um, your, your, your current guest, I'm sorry, what, what, what was your name, ma'am? This is Dr. Tracy Pearson. Oh, Tracy, yeah. What you're saying about Hamas uh, is is not is not completely wrong. Um, I think if if one party is occupied, you know they're going to become nationalistic at some point, yeah. especially especially with Netanyahu and the Likud party. Uh, it it was not going to end well. It was a That's matter correct. of time before something happened. Now, yeah. what that was going to be, you, you go back to the. Uh, uh, South Africa, the ANC, Northern Ireland. It wasn't going to be two armies facing each other. It was going to be terrorism. And that's what this was. And we've never seen anything Correct. Like that boggles the mind, but it was going to happen regardless. I mean, it was a matter of time. You have hardliners in Israel with all the power and, and the U.S. money back behind them. All it's going to do is turn anybody in Gaza into nationalists. And everything that's is it. the same stuff happening in in uh, the west bank and that's my so, fear you can slaughter you can slaughter every member of hamas you can kill them all but if the underlying situation does not change you will have more terrorism let, let me tell you one other thing let me add one other thing the unintended sure. consequence to all this sure is going to be Jews all over the world are going to suffer people are always looking for some something to set more anti-semitism off yeah. and you know, this is this is going to be another Netanyahu, and I'm speaking as a Jewish person. This is going to be yeah. another Netanyahu unintended consequence. Um, he's he's Trump and Mike Johnson rolled into one. I mean, it's not a good. I know. 
I know. Well, I, I mean, all indications seem to be that Netanyahu is is done because, again, Tracy, you know this, the beginning of the year, there were so many protests, but it was the left and young people. Now, look at the polling in Jerusalem Post. It is the entire country has had it with this guy. He was warned by Egypt. They knew this was coming. And he's been the one propping up Hamas because it keeps him in power. So, yeah, I think you will you may see new leadership on the Israeli side, ironically, before you see it on the Palestinian side. But both sides deserve decent leadership that cares about peace, not decent leadership that needs more violence to solidify their own power. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Right on. Yep. Thank you, man. man. Appreciate it. Have a great evening. Thank you. We have the smartest and most attractive listeners, I might add. 866-997-4748. I mean, Tracy, a lot of people are worried that... You know, initially, um, I, I thought, well, how, how how much could Muslim Americans hurt Joe Biden if they bailed on him? And the numbers have been astonishing to see. He's gone from like 59 percent Muslim support in, in the states to under 20 percent. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen a year from now if, if, if Muslim Americans have a choice of Joe Biden, who tried to slow a ground invasion, who got 100 million in relief aid to Gaza versus Donald Trump. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining American Muslims would vote for a guy who wants to ban their faith. Well, and and it's not just just them. It there is it, it, there are allies, and I have been all over TikTok. You and I have both been trying to grow TikTok. I'm I'm always happy when I run into your videos because I'm like, oh, it's some levity. Um, but there's there's people that are posting things, and I'm going to just go out there and say it. It's stupid. Do not write in free Palestine in your write in vote. Do not do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, you can void your ballot. Okay. If you select two people in the same race, number one. Right. So if right. you're thinking about doing that, don't do that. Number two, nobody in, in Israel, Netanyahu, nobody, nobody in Palestine cares whether you can get an abortion, whether you can have contraception, whether you have uh, voter suppression laws. Nobody mm. cares. And mm-hmm. and uh, there are there are races all over the country where politics is local. You've seen it in your states. You've got to vote. And, and if you are a one issue person and that one issue is is a 70 year plus history of the United States relationship with Israel. And, yes. and 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 a lobbying group that has worked really hard uh, over over these years to to ensure that that relationship is codependent in some ways, then mm-hmm. then you we are fucked as a country. <laughs> I'm just you know, I yeah. don't curse on radio all that much. And I'm telling you, you, we are fucked because you're throwing your vote away. And we saw what happened in, in 2016 when people did that, when they went, That's oh, right. I don't know if I can vote for Hillary. OK, right. and, and these these races, these, you know, these races that are coming up that are local are important. Your school boards, everything. Jesus, please don't do it. That's keep my, in mind, my Tracy, we we got a year till Election Day. So so let's 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 remember to breathe because we have a whole year. Yeah. A lot's going to happen. Donald Trump has a lot of criminal trials between now and then. We, um, the, the entire everything we're discussing right now, we probably won't be discussing this time next year. Hey, everyone. Oh, I, we, we, we woke up, Chris. Hey, Chris, what's up? I don't know, guys. <laughs> Please I weigh in. Know. What? What? Well, this sounds a lot like condemnation. As okay. not to be honest. Well, I condemn your condemnation. Uh, because See, but I can because I'm a United States voter. You can't, I, I guess, but you know that as a United States voter, 
um, people have the right to like you don't have to you shouldn't be forced to support something that you don't believe in and this is clearly an issue that a lot of people believe in so if somebody's going to tell yeah. me that they're not going to vote in the election because of the way the Biden administration has handled this conflict and their and the response mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and shame them for that look no want, but I, I I'm not going to either if well I'm not going to now but we're not going to be the best station we can be then we have to live with what we what we are. Well, oh, all no, I'll no. say to that is all I'll say to that is if you're if you're so upset at Joe Biden's support for Israel that it makes you decide a Trump presidency is acceptable, I don't really see where you care about Muslims. It's, it's not. It's, 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 saying it's I'm not, not just that. Vote. I'm taking myself out of the game. Yeah, that's 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 um, dumb. But not voting. I, not voting <laughs> is a vote for Trump. I'm sorry. Unless you're if you're in a swing state, not voting is a vote for Trump. They're not if just you're in Michigan. It, yeah, they—they're saying it about their representatives and their senators as well, and mm-hmm. and that but to me is insanity. To the, and I hear what you're saying, Chris, but but to the people that feel this way, though, the mindset is that this like vote blue no matter who or the best of the be- the best of two evils or whatever, like. Um, no one's going to learn until they have to pay a price. And if throwing the country down the trash for four years, which, you know, then we did then that. The, yeah, we did that That might once. be worth it. Right. But we, no one learned anything. What, well, what people I learned. Myself, no, I'm sorry. People did learn because they I'm showed up in the greatest number. But they showed up in the greatest numbers in the history of our democracy in 2020. Because, so I, because I, we had expanded voting that no one's going to be able to do this time. I saw a great tweet and it was from I don't know who it was from. I'd have to go back and look. But this person said, if you all are going to do that, don't expect the black vote to come out and help you protest or come rescue you basically at the airports when you can't get back in. I mean, literally, it, it is it is. It, I remember, you know, us all rushing to the airports to try to represent people who, who who were struggling because of the the Muslim ban that wasn't a Muslim ban that was a Muslim ban. And right. so I I think that that we all have to to sort of this is a hot moment. People are really, uh, you know, inflamed. The media yes, is are. not doing anything about that. Um, that's good. And, and obviously Twitter is a cesspool. So um, it is it is it, it, I understand. But for God's sake, don't do it. Just don't do Let it. Me, Get it out of l- your head. I, you know what I need? I think we all need I think we all need um, the ambassadorial diplomatic touch of Stephen from Kentucky. Stephen, welcome before the break. It's so good to have you. You're on with Dr. Tracy. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, before I begin, um, you know, I wanted to add my horror films from last night. Please. Happy Halloween. Tell me your horror films. Well, I wanted to add The Haunting. From 1963 with Claire. Great Bloom, movie. Julie Great Howard. movie. Yeah. So smart. And Such a good the, film. And The Mad Room with Shelley Winters, Stella Stevens, and, and Beverly Garland. You've talked me there. I haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah, Shelley Winters dies in that film. She's killed by somebody in that film, I remember. But, uh, mm. yeah, it was a bit macabre, it was, of course. But uh, Yes. Yes. I wanted to correct something for a moment. Did you say that Don Adams from Get Smart is now 200 years old earlier? I didn't understand when you were doing no, I special don't events think, for November 1st. I don't think I mentioned Don Adams from Get Smart. Would you Get believe Smart. he is? 
<laughs> oh, he, well, I, I, I didn't. No, he know is not. No, I'm not sure. I'm, he's, he's no longer with us, and I'm not sure whose birthday I could have met. I said, oh, no, I said John Adams, sir. John Adams became the first president to live in the White House on this date in 1800. Would you oh, believe well, the I second thought, president? I thought John Adams was turning 200 years old. Well, <laughs> learn something new every day, apparently. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. That, was, that would be John Adams, whose career did not go as well as Don Adams. Oh, I see. <laughs> Well, Which is completely just, different than wanted, Sam Adams. Yeah. Yes. Well, I just wanted to correct that. Uh, okay. I, I wasn't sure. Before I begin, I wanted to address the caller last evening, Edward All from right. Arizona. Before you begin, you've already addressed the theme for last night's call-in. Go ahead. Tell me about Edward from Arizona. <laughs> well, Edward was mentioning his support for Mr. Kennedy. Yes. And, Edward, if you're listening... I understand, my dear. I was actually one of those individuals who supported Mr. Kennedy earlier on, too. But I want to be very clear about something. This Kennedy is not JFK. He is not RFK, his father, his beloved father. And he sure as hell is not Ted Kennedy, his other uncle. (laughs) This man is obviously off his rocker, he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I am very disappointed in him, quite frankly. And to yeah. be honest, I and the, he's a disgrace to the Kennedy name, he is, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, because I've heard some of the, the crap coming. He's been channeling his grandfather, the Nazi mm. sympathizer, is what he's been doing as of late. And I don't know exactly why that is. That makes me very, that makes me very sad that he would do yeah. that. Yeah. I, I I just, I've been just so disappointed or... seeing he will say anything at this point. He will flip-flop on any position. I mean, last week he was talking about reparations. Now he's against that. And I mean, I, I heard him. I heard a clip earlier where he was saying how video games are causing gun violence. It's like, Jesus, you're just going to say anything. Well, and that's not what his and, and I want to be very clear, because Michelangelo before has talked about him and talked about how spoiled he was and everything else. You know, the fact yeah. is, he has a wonderful record on the environment. He does. Environmental he does. Justice, but, but the fact is that the Kennedys have done a lot of wonderful for this country. You can sure. say what you will about them personally. They're not infallible, no, but they did do a lot of wonderful things. Yes. And the fact is, this man, for whatever reason, is more motivated by power than anything else, just like so many of these individuals yeah. are. Being Phillips that I wanted to bring up. He, he, might be the, he might be the only candidate running who makes Donald Trump look like a good husband, by the way. He might be the <laughs> only one. Well, as far as Mr. Phillips is concerned, yes. I called his office today to give him a piece of my mind. Oh, and good. I realized something. They do not Tell allow me. people to call in with criticism. His oh. office doesn't. <gasps> oh, yes. Mm. And I actually called. So what I did was I had a chance. Not only was I on fire about this, but I was also upset about Rashida Tlaib being censored. Okay. I've she wasn't. Ms. Tlaib, the Congresswoman Tlaib, on several occasions. Now, do mm-hmm. I agree with everything that she has stated? No, I did let her know that I was very upset by her remarks about Hillary Rodham Clinton several years okay. ago. But I want to be very clear about something. She is a good person at heart. Yes. And I don't always agree with her. I don't in everything. But let me tell you, she was right to a certain degree about the fact that the current president... And I agree with Dr. Tracy to a certain degree, but I also think it's important for us to remember that there is just as many Palestinians that have been casualties as Israelis. Actually more. Actually, the number is far greater. 
<laughs> and I want to say this because I said this earlier to Debbie Dingle's office earlier today. Tell me quick, because we're I, hitting a break. I spoke with them and I said that you and Richie Torres's office, I had mentioned to them, you cannot discern whether a person is evil or good based on special difference. That is not the way it works, because the fact is, you can't say, for instance, that all Jews are wonderful and all Arabs are evil. That is not exactly. the case. We have good and bad in every category, every good, good Stephen, and bad. Stephen, uh, you're right. We, we have to hit a break, Stephen. I'm so sorry. But I thank you very much. You are brilliant as usual. And I pity the fool who gets a call at their office from you when you're angry. Thank you <laughs> for being such a gentleman. 